it is time for the three favorite words in Blue Water Baptist history. It's catechism time. So we're at question two. Um, if you're new, we do this thing called catechism, which is an ancient form of Christian teaching, like from literally the first century, basically. Um, we're in a Baptist church, which some people think strange that we do catechism, but um, our catechism is basically a hybrid of two very old catechisms, both Baptists. One is Keech's catechism, or the catechism of 1689, and we blended it with Spurgeon's catechism. So... Um, Baptists do catechism. We have no control over the fact that if you've been in a Baptist church, you've never done catechism before. So, we're in question two. Uh, we started it last week, and this week I was actually thinking of doing, responding to the three most common arguments that why God doesn't exist, and I came to my senses, because there's only like six minutes. And instead, we're just going to look at the second part of this from last week. So, Question two, how do we know there is a God? The light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declare that there is a God, but only his word and spirit effectually reveal him to us for our salvation. So last week we talked about the first portion of this answer, and we referred you to Romans chapter 1 through 3, select passages, and remember, we were saying that if there was any passage in the entire Bible that should influence the way you look at the world around us and how our approach should be in terms of dealing with people that are not believers, it's contained in Romans 1 to 3. If you're going to memorize anything to help you understand the world and live in the world and the culture we live in, memorize chapters 1 to 3. You will never regret it. You'll never say to me, I wish you never told me to do that. But... Um, in there, of course, it talks about how the fact that everyone knows God exists because they're made in the image of God and they live in his world. And creation declares, Paul says, the, the, the very fact that people know that God exists. They know his eternal power and divine nature are clearly perceived in creation. And the problem is, is that we suppress this knowledge in unwickedness, in wickedness, and we... Um, he goes on to say in Romans chapter 2 that we have the law written in our hearts that even if we've never seen or heard the Bible, we are inherently moral beings that do things that are by nature, things that are required by the law. And that alone is enough, Paul says, to condemn us on the day of my gospels revealed in, in Jesus' judges. And then he goes on to say in, in chapter 3 that that every, quoting the Psalms, that no one sees God, no one understands. We are in big trouble, even though it's clear by creation and by our own nature that God exists. But then they go on to say, but it's only his word and spirit that effectually reveal to us God for salvation. So if Romans 1 to 3 is important, the very next passage that's just as important is from Paul in 1 Corinthians 1. I'm going to read you a brief section of it. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? 
where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Some translations say insert philosopher instead of debater. And, you know, I kind of like philosophy. I think it's interesting. But the history of philosophy, um, Schaefer points out that anyone of these famous philosophers developed a philosophical system. In every case, almost, when they tried to live according to the philosophy they developed, they either went mad or they committed suicide. The history of philosophy is a history of human wreckage. And the history of philosophers reflects that. Anytime man tries to come up with a system, a way of looking at the world where they exclude the God of the Bible, it ends in personal and moral disaster. Oops, I just lost. So, then he goes on to say, um, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who were called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then he says in the next chapter, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. We should not be surprised that our message is met with opposition and with ridicule. That's the nature of the beast. Paul says in Romans 1 that everybody knows God exists and they, and they suppress the knowledge. He says in, in 1 Corinthians 1 that it's folly to them, that it requires the Spirit of God to understand these things. There is no neutrality. This is not a political fight. This is, this is a worldview fight. This is a theological fight. The battle in the culture is the battle of the gods. We should never be surprised if our message meets with opposition. But Paul, the, the guy who says that they suppress the knowledge of God and they think it's folly, is the same guy that spent his time preaching. Why is that? Because it's this very thing, that the knowledge of God's existence and the knowledge of the gospel comes through the Word and the Spirit. This is how God works. Paul goes to Athens um, in Acts 17, and he preaches in front of all the philosophers. And they're interested. They want to hear what he says. But when he's speaking, they suddenly realize that he's talking about a resurrection and that God commands all men everywhere to repent and that he's appointed Jesus, who's, who he rose from the dead, to judge everyone. And what's the response? Paul, you're an idiot. We don't want to hear you anymore. But there was some that wanted to hear further. So this is our call. Our call is to preach the gospel to everybody, knowing that the default reaction is going to be that they want nothing to do with our message. But this is how God works. This is why we shouldn't be surprised when our culture abandons Christianity. Christianity can be pragmatically and empirically proven that Christianity is good for a culture that elevates a culture into all kinds of freedom and order and blessings. And yet, in spite of that, you'd think that, hey, this works great. We should maintain it. What do we see? No, they reject it. Our culture is in the middle of crumbling 
because we refuse to acknowledge God and regardless of all the benefits that it gives, we still don't want anything to do with it. If there's anything that proves the spiritual nature of it, it can be this, and it's displayed right in front of us. This is why two people sitting in a church service, one guy's hearing the same message, one of them is thinking about the drywall hole he has to fix when he goes home, and the other guy is thinking, this is the most gripping, important thing I've ever heard in my life. It's because it's primarily Christianity is a supernatural religion and requires the supernatural work of God. And we're, um, the next question would be, why doesn't everybody, why doesn't God do that for everybody?